As we, as we think about this first week of Advent, we think about hope, we think about expectation and longing, it kind of draws us back to the definition of what hope is. What, what is hope? And um, the story I always come to, there's, there's, a, there's an older, bald man with rather severe eyes that always comes into my head when I think about looks. Um, he is a brilliant, a brilliant man. And one of my favorite theology teachers I've ever had, his name is Dr. Gary Bashirs. Uh, he, he's up in Portland. Um, and he is a dear, dear person. But um, for a new seminary student like myself, he, I found him quite intimidating at first. Um, Reed, <laughs> Reed understands. Yeah. Um, great guy, but um, very intimidating. The first conversation I, sat, I had with him, I had to sit down and, and kind of demonstrate a base level of knowledge to try to get out of a couple classes and, and the whole hour in his office, he sat there with his arms crossed like this, look, you know, peering at me, and I just quivered trying to answer this onslaught of questions and trying to call back to things I'd learned in college. And um, I didn't fail, but I didn't exactly succeed either, so we'll leave it there. But, <laughs> but one of the things I appreciated about him is um, there's no such thing as theology in a vacuum. That whatever we learn about God, that if we are, if we are t- talking about God or theology and we're bored, we're doing it wrong. Just straight up, we are doing it wrong. Because there's nothing boring about the God of the universe um, that we serve. And, and to learn more about that God um, should not bring, a, bring us to yawns. Um, it should bring us to joy and worship. That's the only right response. And so one class period is 15 years ago. Um, in, and it was right after the um, Southeast Asian tsunami. Um, if you will recall, back in 2004, there's a, there's a large earthquake in the Indian Ocean that caused a tsunami that killed over 230,000 people, $15 billion of damage. And it highlighted a part of the world that we in America are not particularly familiar with, and we recognize some of the names because that's where a lot of our coffee comes from, the island of Sumatra, things like that, in the Philippines and Indonesia over there. Um, and not Philippines, Indonesia, that's what I'm trying to say, in the Indian Ocean. But significant damage, just devastating, devastating, devastating. Um, and so I walked into class the, the week after that, and he said, what is hope? So we talked about hope. And the definition of hope that he presented to us was the active expectation of good based upon the character of God. Um, and I have yet to find one that has stuck Um, in my brain better than that. The active expectation of good based upon the character of God. And he said, how does this play, can the people in Southeast Asia have hope right now? How do they know? And it's easy for us to think about being hopeful and feeling, because we have quite comfortable lives in in the developed world, such as it is. Our, we notice when the air conditioning doesn't work in our, in our sanctuary. We notice when the heat or the lights are off. because We notice because they usually are. Um, they usually are on. And, um, and we're usually quite comfortable in this room. But if, if hope can't be just as true for those people who survived that tsunami, then we're, we're not doing it right. So how can we have hope if for a community that's been devastated? How can we have hope for a community like ours that may not be devastated through 
um, some natural disaster, but is facing fear and anxiety and depression and loss and family troubles and all kinds of issues today. So we have to move beyond the circumstances of the situation to God's character. Hope, active expectation of good based upon the character of God. So who do we know that God is? And it goes all the way back to when God introduced himself. Who shall I say sent me? I am. Yahweh, I am who I am. That God's character is good and God will be that to us. Good. So that is why we have hope. And so as we go through um, these verses today, um, it's interesting to think about how we respond in crisis. Um, In September 2001, um, after September 11th, church attendance went up drastically. Sometimes in times of hardship, it causes us to hope and it causes us to revert back to things that we find hope and strength in. And it's easy to become distracted Um, it's easy to become too busy to care that much in all honesty, right? The the day-to-days of our lives. When we think about um, our relationships and when we think about the way we spend our time and how we serve, so often the day-to-day and mundaneness of that day-to-day life can cause us to lose grasp of the hope of of who God is in, in Christ's redemption. And so that's kind of the theme that we're going for today is how do we experience expectation and waiting? How do we think ahead? Um, And it's easy on the flip side. It's easy on the back side to look back and say, oh, it was there all along. But when you're in the moment, it's hard. One of the reasons that I know that we can have hope is from Psalm 23. We are very familiar with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that very beginning, I shall not want this. There's nothing that we do not lack. God will provide everything that we need. And even if our lives, our very lives are compromised, we are still in God's hand. And that is why we can hope. Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Um, I'm thankful for God's mercy that many of us do not have to experience that on a regular basis. Um, but I know that some of us have, and um, the fact that you are still standing is de- is demonstration of the fact that God is is a sustainer. So let's as we shift our attention to the Christmas story, um, I just want to recognize that everything that you appreciate about the sermon today was probably Aaron's words, and everything that you were frustrated with is mine. So just (laughs) throwing that out there. So um, I'm grateful to Aaron's preparation and for the teamwork that we were able to have um, this week. And and hopefully he is resting well and not stressing about what's happening here. And when you think about waking up in the morning, is anybody else a snooze person? Reach over and hit the snooze button. Okay. Wow, we got a lot of uh, faithful risers here. But okay, so a couple of you, you, you get me, yeah. So I am always, as a, on the whole, um, the last one to wake up in my home, if at all possible. Um, it is a state of being for me. And, um, and I have a hard time waking up most days, most of the time. And um, 
you can recollect, but regardless of that snooze or not, that, that half-sleep, half-awake state where things are a little groggy and a little not clear and you aren't sure what is real and what isn't, you know, like, am I dreaming that my alarm is going off or is my alarm actually going off? And, you know, those kind of weird in-between states. That, that is kind of a good analogy for the Christmas story. Um, when we look back through the lens of the Gospels, we see all these points of clarity of Christ's coming and what Christ will do when he comes. But on the flip side, for those who are living in it, it's sort of in that foggy state. They didn't see clearly of what was coming through. And, it, and in that sense, Israel was in a groggy state spiritually. And, that's, and we kind of see the ebb and flow of that throughout the pattern of, of Scripture. Um, but our first verse that we want to look at today is Numbers twenty four seventeen, and um, And we're going to kind of build a path of expectation moving forward of Jesus coming. And again, building up our hope and expectation as we... As again, we fall headfirst in expectation into the Christmas season, this first week of Advent. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So the, as, we, as we look forward and, and we see in some of the things throughout the Old Testament, we look forward in anticipation of Christ's coming, of a long-sought-for deliverer. Um, one of my favorite, favorite musicians, um, his name is um, Rich Mullins. He wrote a song called My Deliverer is Coming. And he talks, and, and the theme of that song is basically like the people of Israel just waited and longed for their deliverance, for their coming king to deliver them. And, um, and that's the main chorus of the song is My Deliverer is Coming. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And it encapsulates so much of what um, we are talking about today. Um, so, you know, Israel knew, they knew from Jeremiah 23 that a day is coming when one from the line of David would rise up as a righteous savior and king. Um, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. For this is the name by which he is called, the Lord, our righteous savior. And they knew that what Samuel had spoken to King David about the one who had come in 2 Samuel seven twelve through 13. We'll read that one as well. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. You will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, they were familiar with the promise of Micah, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then also from the words of Isaiah, again, we're painting a long view picture here, which we often hear this time of year, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us and indicates the divinity of Jesus. So from our vantage point, kind of looking back throughout history, we see very clearly the, these markings, these mountaintop points throughout Scripture that point to the coming Christ. And, and that longing, the longing for a king, the promised one to come, is, um, you know, the foundation of, of a lot of really good stories, you know, from Lord of the Rings to, to you name it, there's other things too. But that, that promised one to come, the offspring, the child, the, the deliverer is coming. Um, 
This is, this is the vantage point by which we sit. And, and it, it isn't crazy. It's kind of, I think we often, from our modern lens, say like, well, how was Joseph surprised that this was happening? You know, it was right there. But he was still looking through that groggy state of, of unclear of what, of what the future would bring and of how God's promises would be fulfilled. And so I think we need to grant them grace in that, you know. The fact that everyone was caught by surprise um, isn't really that surprising in the end. Um, but this is the promise they've been holding on to for centuries, that God would send the Messiah and make things right, saving his people. But when we think about the world that they live in, um, their country was occupied by a foreign power. You know, there wasn't a lot of hopefulness. That it, was, it was survival throughout the day. Keep your head down, carry the burden for a mile, and move on. You know, it was, it was, it wasn't, they weren't living their best life, you know, it was, it was definitely, they were living in a state of disappointment and unfulfilled longing and unfulfilled promise. You know, Caesar was causing hardship um, and his decree that every family be registered was an act of power and dominance. It was, it was a demonstration that they were not living in the world and in their country as they as they knew it should have been. Um, but that political force and that movement forced Joseph and his you know, promised bride, Mary, to head to Bethlehem. Um, but politically, things were in disarray. And even the religious leaders, who had seen plenty of the gospel accounts to see, seem to be corrupted by power, um, but there's all sorts of reasons for them to, to throw up their hands and check out spiritually. But one thing that seems consistent throughout the Christmas story is that no one, not from the political leaders of the day, not the people, not the religious leaders, no one but some distant foreigners who were looking up at the sky expected Jesus. They, were, they weren't, no one else was watching for God's promises to be fulfilled, expecting it now. And I think that's a good, a good thing for us to kind of cultivate and realize of like, if we don't expect God's promises to be fulfilled, we may miss it when it shows up. They all did. They all missed Christ in the moment. Had to open their eyes. That's a that's a that's a sermon for another day. Eyes becoming open, but um, but it had been a few hundred years since the people of God had heard a prophet speak from the voice of God to them, and so their ears were not attuned to God's voice. Their ears were not attuned to expectation, to longing, to hoping. Um, Perhaps it was all that time that had caused them to be a bit groggy spiritually, not quite awake, not quite ready. And one thing I love about the academic calendar is that every late, every late summer, we get a fresh start. And so in a lot of ways, I get two fresh starts a year. You get the new year of like, oh, it's a new year, new, new me. You know, what, what's the new things are going to be? But then I get a second one in August of like, okay, new class of students ready to go, new, new year, new start. But one thing I love about that season of patterns of changing and start is that when we start something new, it gives us a chance to refresh. And so as we hit, my hope and prayer for us as a community is that our eyes will become more and more open, that we'll become less and less groggy to what God is doing in our hearts and in the world around us. Um, because I believe that God is active I believe that God is working in our community and in our hearts. And um, 
the more we keep in step with God's spirit, I think the more we will actively participate in that work and help to bring it about. So in the darkness of the day, the first alarm clock goes off. One of the first alarm clocks goes off with um, Zachariah. Priest hanging out, he's old, and he gets, he gets the, word, um, the word from an angel. And the angel promises that his, he and his wife are going to have a son. So let's read through um, Luke 1, 18, um, how he responds. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Husbands, don't say that about your wife. Just pro tip. 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you that this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he seemed to so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I wonder if the people who saw Zechariah noticed the alarm or just stayed in the groggy state of hitting the snooze button. Because this is the first alarm. It's happening. Wake up, y'all. It's time. It's coming. It's coming. Whether one lamp or two, you know, the, the idea of the messenger, the forebearer, the, the herald heading out to let people know. If you don't hear, if you don't see, you can't get the message. So it happens that Zachariah and his, and his wife Elizabeth were related to a young woman who was about to be met by an angel herself. And their son John would lead the way for her son, the savior of the world. So suddenly out of the seemingly silence of God, the normalcy of life and the problems it brought, there is a glimpse of God at work, doing something incredible. In the unexpected, God reveals his love through an unlikely baby, born in humble circumstance, all while most of the world went on in slumber. In this Christmas story, we are reminded of how God was at work in ways no one expected and many didn't notice. God was fulfilling his promises right in front of them, but most didn't notice. And while we begin our season of Advent today, a lot has changed over the last 2,000 years. Electricity, democracy, fast food restaurants, computerized, digitized world in which we live, reality that seems questioned moment by moment. Some things haven't changed so much. We're still groggy. We still don't see what God is doing. We wrestle with the demands of a, of a government that is still broken. We see religious leaders corrupted by power. We, too, we see, too, all sorts of reasons to look around and throw up our hands and checks out. We see our own hearts, and we know that we are in need of grace. And we know that we should be further along than we are right now. But we have hope because our hope is not based in our performance or our ability to grit our teeth. Our hope is based in God's character, and he will remain faithful. And unlike every parent that you've ever known, God loves you unconditionally. Even your mom loves you more when you behave, right? There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. 
there's nothing we can do to cause God's heart to yearn for us more than it does. All we need but do is respond, and God rejoices. That response can be as great and dynamic as an hour just being washed over with the beauty of art drawing us to the Savior. That response can be simple as help. But any response whatsoever, I believe, brings delight to God's heart. So this morning, as we think about our own hearts and our own spiritual lives, are we still spiritually groggy? Are we awakened fully to hear what God is doing? Are we aware of the promises of God, believing in that reality, perhaps even responding to God in the past, but now sort of just doing life as as usual, pursuing our own ideas and agendas? Jesus seemed to see this reality coming, that we would we would check in and check out at different phases of our lives, be consumed by what was happening at work or our circumstances at home or in our lives. And he told his disciples in Matthew when they were asking him how to know when his promise was about to be fulfilled. So in Matthew 24, 42 through 44, he says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So also you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And then we go on to chapter 24, and he tells parables about being ready and being on watch, being awake. In a similar way, Paul writes these words in Romans 13. Romans thirteen eleven. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The reality is that we can get spiritually groggy. We can check out too. We just like all who went before us journey along. And so what does it look like to wake up in a spiritual sense? One of the things that Paul says is that when we are awake spiritually, we will flee from sin. Cast off the things that entrap you. Jesus would emphasize loving others in his name as a demonstration that we are spiritually awake. Again, simply responding is a good start and a good sign. Indifference. When we look at Matthew 22, Jesus speaks of a great king who had prepared a magnificent wedding celebration for his son. He sent out invitations saying, Tell those who have been invited and have them prepare my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Right? But people responded with indifference. They paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So love finds a way, but indifference finds an excuse. The slumber of indifference is fueled oftentimes not by caring, 
but by caring for the wrong things. Let me say that again. Indifference is fueled oftentimes not by caring, but by caring for the wrong things. In that sense, the question is never, am I worshiping? But what is it that I'm worshiping? Because always, always, we, we were made, we were made to care, we were made to yearn and long. We were made to serve, we were made to worship. And the question is never, are you worshiping, but rather what is? What, what, what idol is it that you're seeking or serving? So alongside that slumber of indifference is complacency. Kicking it into neutral, chilling. As Jesus is telling his disciples about what is to come, he paints a surprising picture. Matthew 25. We'll read through Jesus' words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Giving a bit of water, a bite of food, or visiting someone who doesn't seem like doesn't seem like big things. But that visit, that drink, that bite is literally the hands and feet of Christ to someone. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So this morning, as we consider hope, as we consider waking up and, and casting aside spiritual grogginess, Let us, let us think about the nativity story, about how God is working and bringing things forward. The, the, these weeks of Advent are a special time of the year. Celebrating Christ's arrival is good and right. And like those on the cusp of the Christmas story of waiting, waiting for God's promise, like Zachariah unable to speak, like Mary with a child with child waiting for delivery like Joseph completely unsure of what the future holds we participate in that anticipation and that hope beginnings bring hope this is the beginning of advent and it is hopeful no one goes to a wedding and thinks well, okay, that's <laughs> maybe there's some weddings. But for the most part, weddings are celebratory occasions because there's hope. People don't get married thinking, this isn't going to work, right? 
I mean, if they are, they need to do a little more self-reflection and maybe don't do that step. But that's another story for another day. But you know what I mean. We don't, we don't get sad when we hear about someone having a baby. It brings us joy, even though the process of having a baby and those first three years are rough, right? Like, that is hard. But we are excited for them because we know the joy that comes from that in the future. And these are just little hopes, little relational things that we get. How much more is the hope of the aspect, active expectation of good, of God's work in our lives and in our world? It is a big, big, big deal. So let us try to stay awake. Let us stay awake in anticipation of our Savior's return. Let us stay awake in anticipation of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and through, in and through us, to each other and to our community and to our region and across the world. When you think of all the, all the folks who have been touched by the ministry of North Park, spread across the world, literally across the world in different ways and in different states and in different places, um, all those little seeds of hope, of growing, of building, that's kingdom work. That's, that's what we are a part of. So last Sunday, Aaron encouraged us to have a few, a few steps. Those would give you a reminder of some of the things that he talked about. Um, set aside a few minutes each day to thank God for everything you can think of. Um, and thanks again for sharing the things that you are thankful for with us this, this morning. Begin the day with thanks before your feet hit the floor. One of my favorite writers talked about there's no normal days. If we say, well, on a normal day, I'm going to X, Y, and Z, and that's how I'll be ready for my day. And I'll be, you know, I'll, have, I'll spend this many minutes with Jesus, and I'll read this verse, and then I'll do this. But the fact is, there's no normal days. We wake up too, we wake up too early. We wake up too late. Um, it's raining. It's sunny. There's, there's no normal days. There's always something that messes with the schedule. And so those rhythms of things we can do starts with, before you think, hit the floor, thank you, Jesus. And that's a good way to begin. Um, whatever has happened, end the day with thanks. Find a reason to give thanks. And then finally, when you feel your body reaching to something, choose to give thanks. So um, our hands make for a great, a great cue, a great incident, inciting event for us to be grateful. Oh, thank you for this water. Anytime we reach for something, thank you for that remote. Whatever it may be. Good thanks for others, for creation, and practice generosity. So um, this week, as we think about hope, um, there are a lot, of, a lot of good ideas and good ways that we can participate. My prayer for us is that our spiritual grogginess can be set aside that our eyes will see and actively hope because you have to be awake to participate in hope. So let us celebrate. Let us worship outside of Sunday morning. And um, one great way to have hope is to live it out. To, to act in acts of service is a great way to feel more hopeful. So we have Feed Hope coming. 
is a great way to demonstrate, to practice, um, engage with that. Invite someone over for dinner. Seek ways to serve those you work with, go to school with. Um, serve spouse, kids, parents, even intentionally, even in little things. Being, being spiritually awake requires intentionality and action. It's a combination of both those things. Intentionality and action. And it is my firm conviction that the more that we participate in such things, the more and more we will recognize and be drawn to continue to participate in such things. So today, may we walk in the wakefulness this week. Walk in wakefulness as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus while watchfully waiting his return. Join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful that we can have hope because of who you are. God, we pray that as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ, God, may our eyes be awakened to watchfully await for his return. May our eyes be awakened to how you are working in our world and in our community and in our hearts. God, draw us to you and help us to cast aside the grogginess that can fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.